This is Ari Koretsky and welcome to Jews You Should Know, introducing the broader community to interesting and inspiring Jewish men and women making a difference in our world. Some are already famous, some not yet so, but each is a Jew you should know. We are back with another fabulous episode of Jews You Should Know. Happy Hanukkah to all, if you're listening when we are releasing this first, and the truth is, there's a great reason that this particular episode is coinciding with Hanukkah, although, of course, we recorded it quite some time ago, as we normally do. Asher Halberstam is from a great Hasidic dynasty, the Sons Babov dynasty. He's one of 15 children in his own family, but as somebody who is the scion of such a large and dynastic family, he's become extremely interested in the subject of genealogy, and not only in the academic sense, but in terms of popularizing it, bring its fruits to the broader Jewish public and really the broader American public, creating templates that people can produce in a beautiful way and highlight in their homes. Asher is the founder and CEO of Tremaly, that is a mashup of family tree and the word family, so tremaly.com, and they've recently launched it's an incredible service akin to Ancestry or Jenny that you'll find online, but with quite a few added features and coming soon, a unique platform, particularly for Jewish families. So Hanukkah, of course, the time we celebrate Jewish family, the traditions, that which we fought so hard for as a young nation and continue to hold dear thousands of years later. Really excited to bring you this episode today, again, launching it right in the heart of Hanukkah. But of course, whenever you listen, it's timely and resonant. Meanwhile, speaking of timely and resonant, if you have not done so already, reminder to follow us on social media at Jews You Should Know. Spell that fully on Instagram and Facebook. Jews You Should Know with the letter U on Twitter. Subscribe or follow wherever you're listening, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, any podcast platform. Please share this podcast with others and encourage them to subscribe or follow as well. Comments or questions to Jews You Should Know at gmail.com. And now to our conversation with Tremaly founder and CEO, Asher Halberstam. We're here with Asher Halberstam, the founder of Tremaly, and a genealogy expert, someone who's very passionate about bringing the power and the meaning of genealogy to the broader Jewish community. How are you, Asher? Well, Hashem, thank you for having me online. I really appreciate it to meet you, Rabbi Koretsky. And it's uh, for me a very big honor to speak to a big audience about my major vision, what I have, and Hashem. Thank God we are already up and running, and uh, I would love to talk about it. Fabulous, and that we will. But first, we're going to talk about you a little bit, and uh, where you're from, and, and your background. So tell us a little bit about your own personal story. Where did it all begin? Oh well, that's the, the truth. Is that the whole Trimley subject is uh, is really from where I come from. That's it was. It's from where I was brought up, and that's why I'm really in this in this business. Okay, so uh, I'm one of fifteen. My father, mother, father, my father's Rocha, and my mother's Angazint is uh, you know they're very super, very illustrious people. They are. And uh, they have a big family, and um, I'm the, the sixth one of the family. 
And my father, let's start up with my father because this is the from where it's coming, the whole thing comes up from I'm coming from and from where the whole business is coming from. My father is a is a Holocaust survivor. He is coming from the town of Gribov. Gribov is a small town near Sons. Sons is a famous uh, town that has very big Rabonim, the Sons of the Devrechaim, and then his son, his son, and all the way to my father. And actually, my father, as a small boy, was called as the successor of this Rabonis of Sons. So the war broke out when he was about 15 and a half years old. He was about to go to Yachal, Yeshiva of Chachmalabin. He was a very big genius, my father, as a child. And he learned Yeridai as a small boy. He's, he was mamish, uh, phenomenal, uh, has a phenomenal mind. And uh, at small, you know, he was learning with his father a lot. And the war broke out, so they have to escape. So they went to, to Lemberg, Beuberich. And from there, the Russians took them all to Siberia, as everybody knows. And that was their Hatzalah. Uh, because he was not under the Nazis, he was under the Russians, which was bad enough, but still not under Germany. Over there in uh, Siberia, my, my father's father was left in Gribov. He did not run together with my grandmother and this, my father's siblings. So my father and his siblings and his mother all went to Siberia alone. And my father is the oldest, so he was the one that was in charge of everything. And they came to Siberia. Uh, he was a very firm boy. He was strong with his uh, background, with his upbringing. And it was very hard for him to shmir a Shabbos and eating only koshers. And it was really, really a very big hardship. And from the, from the whole crowd over there, in this, in this ghetto where he was, I don't know how they called it, was about a couple of thousand people over there. He was the only child, literally the only child that didn't eat a trifus and held Shabbos. Non-kosher food. Right, non-kosher food. He was the only one that did not eat non-kosher food. Right. Now, the big question was how in the world he was possible to have Shmir Shabbos, to observe Shabbos. The Shabbat, how was a boy of 16 years old, 17 years old, possible when in Russia everybody has to work and uh, there's no way out? And if you don't work, you don't have to, you're not getting to eat. So he was the oldest of the family. My grandmother, you know, she was uh, accepted from work because she was a mother of children, but everybody who was capable to work had to work. So my father was in the age of capable to work, and he was not working, and he did not get to eat. How did he do it? Because the, the truth is, he was brainstorming how to do it, and he came up with a brilliant idea. He was actually working, but he was he, he always in his whole life was busy with patterning things, new things, new inventions, and things that nobody knows how to do. So... Over there in Siberia, found a old ship from metal. So he came up with an idea how to do locks, to create locks with these metals. And he went to the supervisor over there, and he told him, "Hey, I know how to do locks. Yes, okay, let me see." And he made something that looks like a lock. I don't know if it worked or not, but at least 
it was a lack. So the supervisor said, okay, go ahead. You will be providing locks. So he made a factory of locks. He had a lot of Jews working for him. And he made sure that Shabbos, nothing was being done. So everybody was, you know, he and all his workers was, uh, were able to, to, to observe the Shabbat. So it was amazing. So until he, he got to this stage to observe the Shabbat, he did not get what to eat. So he got sick, he got blind. And uh, it was miracles of miracles how he took it over. And in fact, he was a young boy and still stood fast, uh, strong with his beliefs and with his upbringing. And that's the way he went through the Siberia with this film. He had lines of people to put on film in the morning, early morning, on his film, because he was, uh, I don't know if the only one, but at least some of the only ones in the whole, in the whole ghetto that had film. So he was really, 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 as a young boy, we're talking about 16, 17, 18, 19 years old boy, he was really strong in it. Then, you know, I don't want to talk all, you know, about my father the whole time. Uh, we have an objection to come to the Trimley, but at least we need to get from where this Trimley comes from. Then they went from Siberia, they went to Samarkand. After the liberation of Siberia, after Germany went to war with Soviet Union, then they liberated all, this, all the Polish uh, refugees, all the Polish prisoners, which were in Siberia. And they could have gone go to everywhere in Russia. So the, the from people went to Samarkand. I don't know how the country is called today. It's not Russia. It's it's Uzbek. Uh, I, I don't I don't remember the, 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 the name of the country. At least over there, he was already older. He was about twenty-two. I don't know exactly how old he was. First of all, he had a, he had a chavrusa that he learned almost. Uh, most of the shas, most of Talmud, he learned with this chavrosa in those in those times. He got the certificate of shechita because he didn't know what will happen. How will he eat kosher kosher meat? So first of the things he took certification of shechita, of slaughtering. Um, he should be able to eat meat. And besides that, he came up with a patent how to weave cloth. Um, he made tzitzis. He made uh, you know. He came up with a patent that he was the only person in the whole summer camp that knew how to do it. He had a company together with Solibavitch and He was the person that was weaving, and the other guy was the person that made the, 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 the I don't know exactly, but it was really, he made a lot of money over there in summer camp. What do you think he did with the money? First of all, he opened his mother's house and brought in a lot of, a lot of, poor people that they gave to eat. And then he sent money for a lot of people that they should be able to, for Atzala, you know, to, to get themselves out of where they are. They should get to the free world. So he sent a lot of money to, to, to Gedali Israel, to Chabinarov, to other tzaddikim. And he himself also was freed by his money that he had. He had, uh, had false uh, passports and so on. So he went out from Russia before everybody else went out because he had the money for it. So in his whole life, he was brainstorming new ideas, how to give something for Claudius role. 
So he came to America. First of all, the first thing he came, like he came, uh, he was in the yeshiva already. He was a boy of 25 years old already. In other words, about a, a week or two later from week, landing he, in America, he was already studying in the, in the yeshiva. Studying in the yeshiva, right? He was, even though he was, he didn't learn the yeshiva till then, because he was, uh, it was in, in Siberia and Samarkand. But then they, he went for for hair. How do you say for hair? An exam, an entrance exam. Uh, yes, so they saw that he's very clever, very smart. So he, they put him in the, the highest class because of his level of understanding. And after one and a half years, literally one and a half years, he got smicha, he was ordained as a rof, and by Rabbi Grossman, who was, he was the Rosh Hashim Torah he was learning Lubavitch. And he, the Rabbi Grossman, was, the, was still in, before the war, he was in the basin of Rabbi Chaim Oizer, of uh, Wilna, you know, was the biggest Gainam of, of before the war, and he was a Shiva in Lubavitch at that time, and he gave him smicha for a bonus, and even got a letter from the Riyaz, the, free, the, the previous Lubavitch Rebbe, that he should accept uh, Rabonas and he should follow up the succeed to uh, you know his grandfather's fathers and grandfather's lineage to become a Rav of sons and uh, all this. Uh, so, in, in fact, he didn't have the capability to become a roof because he had to give to eat for his mother and his siblings and had to bring money the, on the table. But he wanted to be only in the Torah line, only in, uh, in holy things. So he went, uh, he became a printer, printing Jewish books. So first he went to print, uh, went to work for a different company. Then in a, a short while later, he learned the whole, the whole gimmick, the whole thing. And he made a own printing company and he was printing only Jewish books. And for Jewish books, he was the one that went through the whole Sefer, the whole book. He uh, through, made sure there's no mistakes, meaning that he understood whatever he said in the books. So uh, it was part of his learning. And he made his living with it. And those years, he was trying to see what he can do for Klal Yisrael. He was printing 44 old books. Believe it or not, 44 old books from that was not couldn't find in the stores at that time because they were uh, outprint, uh, outprinted. He printed 44 of those books in one and a half years. Hmm. Uh, he bounded it himself. He didn't give it to a binding company. He printed it, bounded it in one and a half years. And he gave it out for, you know, for the, for the Rabbanim, for the libraries. It should be available. That's one thing what he did. Then my mother always describes how he was waking up at, at three o'clock in the morning, writing and writing and writing. So he was trying to at that time, to make a Shittimikibetsis, that's one of the books that uh, takes together all the, the Rishonim. Um, medieval scholars, yeah. Of the scholars, it's right. a collection of medieval scholars on the different tractates of the Talmud. But some tractates does not have, it was not made on some tractates. So he was trying to do it. So he was actually uh, connecting to Oxford University and the universities in Israel, the libraries, was getting manuscripts of all these places. 
and he flew even to London for that, and they actually came to him because they were, the, the, the whole the librarians were very excited what he was doing. He has letters from those librarians, uh, top librarians of these of Oxford and so on. But in fact, he was too busy with this uh, whole thing. So in fact, it didn't come out with uh, whatever he was uh, planning to. But he was then, at that time, he was very busy that Germany cut off Claudius' role. It was very hurt, a hurtful thing that happened to Claudius' role that Amius' role was cut off from the pre previous generations. And was, uh... So I was thinking, how can he connect the people now that, you know, hopefully he was thinking that uh, a new generation will, uh, will come up with new Jews and everything uh, will flourish, a new Jewish community, uh, United States, United Israel. But how will they connect to the previous uh, generations? How will the Messoira, how do you say Messoira, follow up? The tradition. The tradition follow tradition. up with the previous generations. He came up with an idea that at that time, it was still not available. Now we know there's Jenny Ancestry, My Heritage, all these websites that has genealogy. So he was thinking of doing a genealogy program. He wasn't thinking of website because no website was available at that time. We're talking about 70, 80 years ago. He came to United States on 1948. And really a short time after that was starting to work on this project. He was calling it the World Jewish Genealogy Organization. And he was collecting all the books that had genealogy information from you know from past uh, past war was collecting them and he actually designed a program that was unexisting at that time what uh, and he designed a program that would collect all the information and put them together and make a ancestry tree a yichas brief a lineage tree that would connect one to the other, even though you don't know, you have, you know only your father, your grandfather, but the computer knows already your grandfather's father. So the computer will connect all the way up. The same thing that Jenny and every, all the, these other computer programs are doing online now, he actually made this program in his office in Borough Park. And at that time, the computers were big, big, like big refrigerators. It took a whole room that would take his computer. And he had a problem at that time that Hebrew wasn't available on computers at that time. You know, it was really the early ages of computers. And he even flew to Israel to, to have a Hebrew computer. He couldn't find even an Israel a proper computer that would work to the same computer to write Hebrew and English, and then to translate, to understand languages and translate Hebrew to English, and so, so the opposite. So he designed himself a computer, believe it or not, the first ever computer that would have Hebrew text in it. And me, myself, when I was a boy of 50, 50 years old, designed the Hebrew letters for my father's computer. We, we sat 
on a grid and dotted the grid a way that it should look like a, a letter. And then he programmed it that this is Aleph, this is a base, this is a Gimel, and so on. So he actually designed his own letters that was unexisting at that time. And he had a switch on the computer that would change the typing from English to Hebrew. Well, this was, uh, he, had, I, he had letters from the Library of Congress and from the, all the New York big Hebrew libraries that were asking him to give them the program to be able to, the computer should write Hebrew, to use the, the translations of Hebrew to English because it wasn't existing. So he was brainstorming in his early years, years in the United States, how to bring together Klal Yisrael. So this was his venture, was his idea. He made a program to, for genealogy to bring together genealogy. But he wasn't really satisfied with that because the way it was printed is was printed like in pages. You know, I got genealogy tree for my chasana, a whole book of a couple hundred pages. It started from myself, then it went my father, fathers, mothers, whatever, to the end. You know, all different ways it, you could go, it went like pages after pages after pages. It was an index with it in the back, every name we, in we, uh, which page you can find it. Uh, it was phenomenal what it did. It's unbelievable. But he had a problem. He was thinking, how can a person put on his wall a genealogy tree? That's a book that goes in the, the bookcase. But how can he put it in the wall? So because me, myself, I was, as a young boy, he, my father saw that I, no, I had a talent of art. I was an artist. And everything in, you know, in our family did not need to be drawn. I was the, the person, the boy that did it. So he told me, Usher, can you please come up with a way that I should be able to have printed a nice family tree? I told my father, Tati, I don't think this is possible because it's very complicated. Every family tree is different. So how can you make a family tree that every family tree should fit in it? You know, it's like, uh, it's a thing that wouldn't work. So he told me, you just try, and he paid me for it, for doing it. And I was trying, and uh, it, unfortunately, it didn't work. But the idea was in my mind already, and that day that he told me to do it, it was in my mind that this is a thing that has to be done someday. Okay, so he, was, he saw that he can't do it. He was just following up with whatever he does in a book. And it was, made, it was making genealogies for people. So that was my, that's my father's story uh, about genealogy. Just as an aside, where was your mother's family from? Does she also have uh, a very robust and illustrious? She has an illustrious family, but not so rabbinical that my father. My father has a rabbish family. My father himself, he was the son's rabbi in Bora Park. You know, it's not what we need to discuss over here, but that's, he was himself, his father was a rabbi, his grandfather was a rabbi, all his size, his mother's father was a rabbi, 
Uh, and can you just mother. describe for a minute, because the name Halberstam is a very dynastic rabbinic name in the Hasidic world. Maybe yeah. just say a little bit about what the sects of Hasidic Jews were that the Halberstam family was associated with and what was unique about it. Oh, okay. This is a, For this itself, you can have a separate interview, but at least uh, let me tell it to you in short. The Divrechaim, the Sanzerov, passed away in Tufreish Lamed Vov. That was, I don't know which year it was in, uh, in English. It was 150 years, 140 years ago, he passed away. He was a, an old man. He had 14 kids. He had seven sons and seven daughters. He had actually eight sons. One son was uh, Nifter as a child. But from seven sons, he has grandchildren. Okay, his oldest son was the Shinever of Rebcheskel Shirage. He was the main successor of Hasidim after the Devrechaim. Devrechaim was one of the biggest rabbis at his time. Uh, he was in Galicia, Poland. They lived in Sands. And his son, the oldest son, was the Pcheska Shraga, was the Shinoverov, also in Galicia. Now, my grandfather, great, great, great grandfather, was his fourth son. His name was Rebaran. Rebaran was actually named as the Rov of Sons. His father ordained him as the Rov of Sons when he was, when the sons was 60 years old. He was 60 years old. He was already older. He was a big rabbi. He couldn't handle all the rabbinic things that has to be done, you know, chasanas uh, and achshayrem, mikvot, and everything else that has to be done in a, in a, in a city. But he, because he was busy with Avedis Hashem, with Hasidim, with uh, people who came to him from all over the world, writing chivas, how do you say chivas in English? Uh, Responsa. Responsa for the whole world, for the whole world. And, and uh, he couldn't handle the city so he took his son at that time it was his, uh, his fourth son the older sons had already was already Rabbanim at that time so Rabban lived in sons so he took him he should help him with the Rabbanus so he was 90 years in his while the, the Rechaim was living he was already the Rav of sons after the Rechaim passed away so Rabban proceeded with the Rabbanus and sons was a very great tzaddik and you know, it's not here the place to talk about his greatness. Then his son, his name was Rebaya Leibish, was the successor of Sons, also a, a, a big rabbi, a great rabbi. Had a lot of chesidim, a, a lot of rabbis came to him. His son was named Ramat Chizev. He was the last uh, rabbi in Rof and Sons when the war broke out and he got killed in the ghetto of Tarnow. His son, which was Rebaruch, was my father's father. He was the Rav of Gribov. You know, Rabat Chazab was also Rav of Gribov before he became Rav of Sons. And the same was Rabbi Yalaybish was Rav of Gribov before he came, became Rav of Sons. So Rabbarach was, during the week, he helped his father with the Rabbanus and Sons. And uh, the weekends, he was in, in Gribov, taking care of the Rabbanus in Gribov. And there was where my father was he wasn't born in Gribov, but he was brought up in Gribov and in Sons. That Sons. Then there is Babov, the big Babov dynasty, which has a lot of Hasidim today. And there's uh, Kishanov, there is Godlitz, which uh, the Rebbe in Eretz the Klosenberger Rebbe, is, uh, was a, he's a big Rebbe now. 
has a lot of thousands of chassidim. He has a, in Israel, there's a close Magarebbe. There's in the United States a close Magarebbe. And they have thousands of chassidim. There's a lot of, a lot of people that belong to the Sansa dynasty today that are chassidim on various rebbes that come from the dynasty of Sansa. And me, myself, my siblings, my father, are the only rebbes that are the dynasty from the sons of Rabbonus, meaning from all the way sons, all the way till the war. And here we are. Okay, I answered your question about sons. <laughs> Is there anything in particular about, let's say, the practices or the focus within the, uh, the Jewish experience that's unique about that particular sect of Hasidic Jews? There is Menhagim that is different, but that's not exactly what you're looking for. Yes, there's two major, major things that is different than other Hasidus, other, other Rebbes from pre-war. One is that the Sanzarov was a big, big Godel, was a big Talmud Chacham, was the Gonador, and he was asking and was requiring his Hasidim to learn. You know, everybody requires to learn. That's the basic of Claudius' role, to learn. But so sounds, a greater emphasis on Torah study. On Torah study, right. That's one thing. But the other thing is, which is even more important in Sons, is that the Sons of was very extreme. I don't know if here's the place to <laughs> talk about it. But if you ask a question, I'll answer it very shortly. He was very extreme, meaning that it didn't make any shores in Yiddishkeit. So you translate it in English. Uncompromising. Uncompromising Yiddishkeit, right. So that was very, very strong in sounds, more than other places. So I think that's the, that's the most I would want to say over here. Okay, fabulous. So now, moving forward, you're one of 15 children, and you sort of got tasked with being the representative of your father's vision. Was it mostly because of your artistic ability? It let me put it in the right perspective. My oldest brother, which is today the Sanzarov, he actually was working in the world Jewish genealogy, helping my father in the genealogy part, putting in information in the computer and so on. But from that time till now, things changed, and he went on in different things in life meaning different things for Claudius role. He is now doing a big organization, heading a big organization in the New York, Brooklyn community that is busy with uh, placing Orchem, how do you say Orchem in English? Guests, guests coming yeah. from, from, from Israel, guests coming from other countries for doctor's appointments, for weddings, for after coming here for money from... People, you know, from Israel come in, uh, come to New York to to get to raise money. Yeshivas come here, she, uh, send here shaluchim uh, to raise money for their mosdus, uh, for their institutions. They don't have where to stay, so he has an organization that has like twenty to thirty apartments. That he has like a couple hundred beds that he gives out for people without money. Uh, they should have where to to sleep. Because before that, it was very hard for them to come. So that's his venture at this, you know, this time. So I was just involved in the, as you said before, in the art part of, in the visualization of world Jewish genealogy. I was actually a magachir 
in Yeshiva for a couple of years after my uh, I got married. But then I had to bring uh, bring home more money. I started to do art. So I was busy with hand art, drawing, calligraphy, other type of art. I had the honor to write a calligraphy certificate of honoring Rabbi Kamenetsky when he was uh, the Nazi of some kind of an organization. I made the certificate when the Satmarebbe, the previous Satmarebbe, wanted that his son should become the Rav in the Williamsburg community, the current Satmarebbe Williamsburg. So I made the certificate for that. I was busy with art and then was busy with plaques for organizations. I did a plaque for El Gore. At that time, it, he was vice president of the United States. I was doing the plaques for the Goodies Royal for 20 years. And then I made even a presentation for George W. Bush one time. I had the honor, the cover to do a plaque for Rabbi Don Segal. It was a plaque that contained the 12 stones of the Choshen. I studied a lot which stones were the real stones that were on the Choshen. I collected them. I put it on a plaque, presented it to him. And actually, my daughter is now having a new business on this. I'm doing bracelets with the stones of the Choshen. That's besides the point that we're doing. In any case, so with the time, I was drawing family trees also. One touching moment I had, I was drawing a family tree for a big veer. How do you say veer in English? Philanthropist. Big philanthropist in England. His name was Mr. Bensian Donner. From the Babava dynasty, he was a grandson of the Babava Rebbe, from the previous, uh, you know, from Bensian from before the war. Giving a lot of money for organization, so they ordered a family tree, a ancestry family tree of his grandfather's great grandfather's. It was a beautiful tree. It was on cloth. It was on real parchment, framed. It was very expensive because that's the whole idea that I wanted to do with Trimley. It was very expensive. They took it to England, and they gave it over to him like it was uh, a door. Uh, right before Purim, it was two days before Purim. So they gave it over to him, and he was literally crying when he got it. But, you know, that's just the moment of giving over such a precious gift for somebody is really, really lightning, I would say, because people getting such a gift, its emotions are really getting open and they, you know, the, it's very, a very strong gift. You can get gift for a person. And I was really, literally crying. But unfortunately, two days later, he got killed in a car accident. It was a very touching moment from one side and tragic moment on the other side. But, you know, a family tree is a real touching gift you can give. I saw it numerous times, numerous times. I had a, a lot of different ideas with family trees. My main problem was that my father wanted to have something that would work for everybody. And actually, I had a friend coming into my office and asking me, can't you get something? You're an artist. Come up with something that would work for everybody. I said, ah, please, you know, I tried it already. Uh, it's impossible. He told me, no, no, no. I'm not taking a no for an answer. You have to come up with something. Okay, so I was at that time, it was about 25 years ago, 
1998, approximately, 1997, I don't remember exactly, I came up with a very brilliant idea. Shapes, a puzzle. Add a trunk, add part of a branch, then have another part of a branch, two branches, add nine parts. I came up with nine parts altogether, and I actually patent-pended it. And from these nine parts, I would able to make any family tree. It was brilliant. It looked like a puzzle. It wasn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it was very professional, but at least for some for locally it was it was beautiful. But the good thing of this was that computerized, I would be able to do easily any family tree from these nine pieces. I would connect it, combine it, and then have a family tree. Nobody would see that's a puzzle. Nobody would know how I put it together. So it was like a way that instead of paying for a graphic designer to design a new family tree for a couple of thousand dollars, I came up with a way I could do it for a couple of hundred dollars. Super. Okay. So I showed it to my friend. He was willing to invest in it. He marketed it in the community locally. We sold, we sold family trees. But then I was trying to reach out to the to United States, not, of, not, not only to the Jewish people over here, because this idea would work for everybody. It's a family tree. Everybody has a family, family tree. For everybody, a family tree will be the most emotional gift that could, could be given, even though that it's expensive a little bit. At that time, it was expensive. But at least it's a beautiful gift that I can market it. So what I did is I hired a graphic designer to make me 1117 piece of uh, marketing paper. I folded it. I bought a list of the gift shops of the United States from the engraving organization. And I simply mailed it. I simply mailed a 1117 piece of graphic paper with the information on it, with possibility to buy samples. Because you can't sell only if you have actual samples. These samples, I wouldn't be able to give away for free because it costs a lot of money to make these samples. But I gave a breakdown on it and I have a list. This type of tree, I have a couple of types of trees I had at that time that uh, can be made from brass, from wood, engraving, whatever, different type of trees, like four type of trees, colors, backgrounds. So... I had a, a list of samples that can be, can be bought. And for $150, you could buy the whole, set, the whole kit for less. You can buy only one for less. You know, it was sent to 5,000 gift shops in the United States. Now, uh, I don't know if you're, you're in the marketing. I was told that to get back 0.01% of marketing is a, a nice number. 0.2%, 0.02% is the most possible you can get. In fact, I have the records on it. Over 1,000 gift shops were interested in the product. They want more information on it. 20%. Right. It's amazing. But that's not all. I had over 100 gift shops from these 5,000 that actually bought samples, gave out money, and bought samples to sell. To actually buy from 1117 piece of paper, it brought to my attention that this is a real, real 
major opportunity to do something for people, you know, for people to get a beautiful gift out. Not talking about for the Jewish people, we're talking about uh, United States, you know, everybody. So at that time, I made myself up that I'm sticking to this idea. I don't know how, I don't know when, but something will happen with this idea, with genealogy. This is something that it's worthwhile to put in money for. But unfortunately, those samples were, as I told you before, was unprofessional. So it didn't bring me any. Uh, it, I got orders, but not too much that I should uh, stick to this type of family tree. So I actually put it on my back burner for a couple of years. Then I came up with an idea that the internet was getting strong, came up with an idea that maybe I should do something on the internet. So, but I know the internet is a lot of money involved. I need a lot of money for that, which I didn't have. So I was trying to get partners for it. Took a couple of years. Then a friend of mine came in and heard of the idea. He was really excited about it. You know, he has, has money. He felt that he can make a difference. So he jumped in and became my partner. And now we're up to, we, thank God, finished at least so much that we can launch. And I hope you went on Trimly.com and see how this website looks like. Uh, this is a really an amazing, an amazing website. I can't even stop, you know, to have explained all the features that this website has. I'd probably need a book for it. But just to highlight a few very unique features that this website has, Basically, there is out today, there is out there already uh, Ancestry, Jenny, and all these type of uh, genealogy websites. But first of all, nobody emphasizes on visualization of the family tree. You can't get a actually visualized family tree. You should be able to hang up on the wall with all your information customized to your family. That's the uniqueness of this Trimly.com. Besides that, we were talking about Jewish genealogy. We'll have a separate website for the Jewish genealogy, which will have different, little bit different features that will work for the Jewish people. It will be separate on the secular site. But the features are mostly the same. And I'm focusing on everybody, not just for the, not just for the Jewish people on this trimly.com. So first of all, there is three types of trees over here. There is a descendant tree, meaning that you can have a tree that is starting up with your, let's say, your father, your grandfather, grandfather's children, and grandchildren, and great-grandchildren. You can go up to four generations and display it on the wall, which is an amazing gift, which, uh, you know, anytime, Hanukkah, you can give it, uh, the secular work can give it on, on Christmas, on uh, whatever any anniversary gift, uh, birthday gift, anytime. It's a very emotional gift. And today, actually, the main thing is that this gift is like starting with $24.95. It's a really inexpensive gift. It's really, uh, it's not a lot. You can do, uh, it's, it's beautiful. We're coming up with new different family tree visualization, graphic art trees from time to time. Right now, we have ready retired one tree we came up with another tree on our website a beautiful beautiful summertime tree 
We're just working now on a wintertime tree that will come up in the next two weeks. This is the descendants tree. Then we have an ancestor tree tree going up from you to your father, your grandfather, all the way up to 10 generations. You can uh, select how many generations you want, and it will display how many generations you selected. And the third type of tree we have is the dynasty tree. Dynasty tree is that you want to have from yourself, let's say, we're talking now over here, Jewish people. So it's, uh, you want to King David, a direct lineage till King David. And it's very hard for you to display a regular family tree with all the generations till King David, because it's very hard to design such a tree that go all the way to King David with all the generations in the sides. So we designed a tree that's called a dynasty tree, going directly from you till King David, or to Adam and Eve, Adam uh, and or in the secular world, going to any uh, king or George Washington or anybody else, you know, prominent person. That's the third type of a tree. Then, in the trees itself, in the chart itself, well, there's a chart and then there's realization trees. We have two different programs over here on Trimily.com. One is the chart that is the same as we find in Ancestor, Jenny, and all over, but we have a lot of features that's not there. Some of the major features that you can find over here is we have a thing that's called floating members, meaning you know that you're a grandchild of David Amelech. Like, I could say David Amelech, I'd say the closer one of the Noida Behida. Of, uh, you tell me anybody that you know you're a grandchild, but you don't, you don't know exactly how, which is not so far, but you're missing the links still there. And because you, it's missing the links, and you know for sure that you're a grandchild of the you know, descendants of this, this great goddle, you want it on your family tree, but there's no way you could put it on because you don't have the link to him. But you still want him on your chart. You want to still you still want to display him on your family tree. So you made a thing that's called a floating member, which is you put in an ancestor and he's becoming a floating member. He is placed somewhere on the tree. If it's close by, it's with a line. If it's not close by, it's floating somewhere on your chart. And there's a number where you can find him in the index. And you click on it, you can get right there. It's on your chart, even though you don't have the link. It's one of the things. There are a lot of features. I will not list every, all the features over here. Now, the other feature I have over here that is space to mention over here would be it's, uh, called highlight cards. You have a great grandfather uh, that you want to highlight him. You want to be able to recognize directly when you look on the chart, you should be able to find them very easily. You can change the look of that card in order you should be able to find them very easily. You don't have this in the other websites, and it's a very interesting feature, especially in, in, the, in the Jewish uh, website, which you have a lot of gedolim, a lot of big uh, sages you have, you want to, uh, they should be prominent on your website, so you can highlight it. And then, which is very important, if you do a family tree on Jenny, Heritage, and all these websites, a full family tree, you will be getting a family tree that uh, it, it will be wide as a mile wide. It goes wider and wider and wider and wider. Everything that you put in, every name you put in makes it even wider. 
so I put in a lot of thoughts in it because I was bringing brought up with genealogy. So I know how genealogy works, and I know the better ways how to display genealogy. I came up with some bright ideas how to condense these family trees. That when you open up your screen, you should be able to see more or less your family tree. You shouldn't. You shouldn't have to scroll. I mean, if you don't have too big, too big. My my family tree is fifteen hundred names, so I do have to scroll. It's impossible to have displayed fifteen hundred names on one screen. But at least I, you know, a regular person has twenty, thirty, forty names on a family tree. In Jenny or all other places, you have to scroll right away. But in our website, Trinity.com, you don't need to scroll at all. For, for, for 20 names, it just sits in front of your screen because it's designed very clever and very condensed that it shouldn't expand so much. And we did a lot of effort on this, very lot of effort. We spent a lot of money on this that it should be condensed. Uh, some, of, some of the ideas you can see right there that we did that on the descendants type of tree, uh, let's say I'm putting in my children, my sons all the same as uh, no, his name is Avram Chaim. Uh, his wife's name is Esther. So instead of putting Esther and Avram Chaim side by side, you know, as a couple, I did it that Esther will be under Avram Chaim because the chart is not displaying anyway. Esther's heritage, Esther's dynasty, Esther's ancestors, because it's not blood members. So I don't need to make place for her card. It should expand and make bigger the family tree. So I did it that it goes under the name. So it takes away a lot of a lot of space, meaning my siblings, we have 15 siblings, right? So in the other websites, we have 30 cards going across 15 times two. Everybody, everybody has a wife or a husband. So it goes 30 cards. There's no way 30 cards should be seen on a screen. But 15, uh, 15, it's also impossible, but at least seven, eight cards you can see on the screen. It's a nice big family, seven, eight kids. And you can see the whole family on your screen. That's another big idea that I've implemented in the chart. Now, let's go back to the visualization part, which we have the family trees. You know. There's families that have combined families, meaning that somebody has an ex-wife, has kids from this wife, kids from that wife. Some kids, the ex-wife doesn't want, it should be displayed on the tree, but the kids of the ex-wife he wants, it should be because it's actually his kids. So it's very hard to manage how his realization family should look. He should be happy with it. It took a lot of effort, a lot of time, a lot of talking, a lot of meetings, how to work this out. And thank God, Baruch Hashem, we worked out the beautiful, beautiful way that on the chart and on the visualization tree, you can get the tree exactly how you want it. You want to have your current wife on the branch and the kids from all other, from your whole family, you can have it. There's some kids you don't want because that kid, God forbid, doesn't want to know you. You don't want it on the tree, you can have this kid. It shouldn't be on the tree. But still, he is a blood child and he is a member of your family. And he is in the genealogy lineage for the grandchildren that goes through that child. 
it will still get to you because this is a blood member. Blood member stays always a blood member. It was done very interesting how this is, it was worked out. So there's a lot of different ideas that was put in, in this Trimly.com that the visualization should be perfect according to a person's needs and he how he should be comfortable with and how he when he gets it, he should really be emotional about it. And the main thing, it's very inexpensive. You can get it, as I said before, for $24.95. You can get a family tree that was unexisting till today. Is it the kind of thing where you have a database where people can plug in and if they plug into an existing user base, it will automatically increase their own tree? Let me focus on this now. Right. Our website, as of this point, still don't have database. So putting in the data, the information of the family, everybody knows his current family is easy. But if, for let's say, he has a family tree in Jenny or in MyHeritage or in any other site, you can export that information into our system that that program is called getcom and you can import a getcom file in our system that will generate a finished family tree for you in our site meaning that if somebody feels already you know he's years ready in jenny he's comfortable with it but he wants a visualization tree which he can't get in jenny so it doesn't have to reput all the information again in trimly.com he just goes to trimly.com and clicks on import getcom file. And first, he has to make the getcom file from the file he is at. Let's say he's in Jenny. He has to make a getcom file, put it on his computer. Then he imports that file in the system. And all of a sudden, he has his own family tree. First, he has a chart. And from the chart, he's doing whatever family tree he wants to do. So I think I answered your question on this for now. Eventually, we will have a huge database, especially we're working now on the Jewish website. Um, the Jewish we website, we will launch only after we have, I would say about 50 to 60,000. There is no, not too many names out there in the previous books because a lot of them, most information got lost. And we're talking about accurate information. Taking information from Jenny, I would say, is the most ungenuine way to take information because there is a mix-up over there. And that's one of the problems over there uh, that's, uh, itself. And we are focusing. We, we, we have a program that will be certifying information that is accurate. I, I wouldn't say accurate 100%. It's impossible to be accurate. That happened 100 years ago. But at least, according to researchers, that would be accurate and certified by our admin process and after that you know after that is done we'll be launching family hopefully within six months we'll be open we're launching family uh, we call it now family but i'm not sure if we'll stay with this name the jewish website will launch approximately probably in six months i, I hope so and over there we would have a lot of a lot of database that people should would be able to connect to to get their information from the website itself what do you think is so meaningful to people about genealogy? It seems to have become very popular recently in our world today. Do you feel that people feel less rooted 
perhaps, and are seeking some kind of a grounding in the past, a sense of belonging somewhere. What is it about today that genealogy has become more popular? Yeah, I'll try to answer it first on the Jewish point of view. And from there, we can take it to the secular world. I'll start with my father's vision, which he was trying to create a connection from after war to pre-war. People should be connected to the Messiah, to the previous generations. On the Jewish standpoint, it's very important. A person should stay centered with his Judaism. It's very important for himself that he should feel that he belongs to a Jewish family to be connected. That's very important. That that holds him at least a little bit. Uh, he should be en route Jewish. He knows his father, his grandfather was Jewish, and his great grandfather was Jewish. It's very hard this time of this time of the days that uh, a lot of Jewish uh, brethren are falling away with simulation and so on. And uh, the parents would really want that the kids should stay focused and stay Jewish and marry Jewish and so on. So it's a very great idea they they should keep genealogy. I'm not saying Trimley, but Trimley is actually uh, the Jewish website of Trimley will be, will be very oriented for Jewish people. It would be a very good idea to go on when it comes, but at least Trimley or at least any genealogy site to be focused on family. When you all mashpim, all all uh, how do you say mashpim? All uh, influencers, <laughs> spiritual influencers. Spiritual influences when they're trying to talk to boys or girls that fall out, when they're talking to their parents that it shouldn't happen. You know, I heard one of you cut uh, other rabbis you had uh, on your site. A lot of these uh, influences are saying for the parents, give love, give love to the kids. They should feel. Uh, rooted in home, they should feel comfortable at home, and so on. So that's part of this uh, being rooted. It's not just being rooted to the parents itself, being rooted to the Judaism. Being rooted to Judaism, it's not just the parents itself. It's very important in order to be rooted to Judaism to know that his father is a Jew in generations. So it's very important genealogy today's time. What can somebody do if they want to get started with genealogy? What's the best thing to, like a first step, if you don't know anything about it, if you don't have a family tree, or let's say, you know, you know your own family, but you don't know a whole lot about your lineage, what can somebody do to get started? Yeah, okay, this is actually, it's a big job. It's a big, uh, that's, that's the whole idea that my father was busy with for years, because uh, private people was literally very hard for them to get information. There is ways to do it. We have blogs on our website uh, that explains exactly how to do genealogy searching, which is in libraries, to talk to people, you know, talk to your parents, talk to your uncles, talk to your grandparents, great uncles, and so on. Get some names and get cousins and so on. Write it down. The main thing to write it down, let, let me tell you a very interesting thing. My mother-in-law in great saint memory she was a very special person she had a great grandfather it was it was his, her grandfather was named Borach Arya. that was his name and my mother went through the war she was a young girl of 
11. And she came over here and simply when all we got married, her kids, and we had to give names for our kids. So one of the kids, it was first her turn to give the name. So my wife asked her, mommy, what name should I give for, it was born a boy, boy baby, give me a name for this, this child. She said, oh, I know that we have a name in the family, which is Borach Arya. It's a true story. But I don't remember how we're descended to him. But he should be a very close grandfather. I know he was from Gribov. Actually, my side of the family was from Gribov. So her grandfather was a prominent person in Gribov. I think she said he was a dying in Gribov, was, uh, you know, Poisik in Gribov. Well, but I don't know how we are descended from him. Okay. So I know, you know, I believed her. We gave the name Barakharia and we added the name, whatever. It's no difference. But then I made my research and I found that in Gribov was, I found in, in, in boxes, swarm that in the back you have names that gave people that gave money to print the book. It's called Premanantan. People that gave pre printing, they gave the money, they paid for the book. Uh, you know, then when the book is printed, they should get a book. The first name on the list in Gribov was a name, Baruch Arya Weiss. Okay. Harav was say Harav Baruch Arya Weiss. So I know that my mother-in-law's mother's father was a Weiss. His name was Yankov Shaps Weiss. He was living in Bardiev. No difference with which town has lived. So obviously, so this Baruch Arya, it wasn't too long ago. It was like, uh, I would say, 50 years before the war. So it should be that the, the Barakhari was the father of Yankov Shaps Weiss, which was simply my mother-in-law's grandfather. Simple grandfather. She didn't remember a great-grandfather. It's, it's unbelievable. So my father was always saying, write it down. Have it in writing. If not, you will forget. So that's one of the slogans my father was always saying. Write it down. If not, you will forget. Even it's a close grandfather. And I saw it myself. I'm my own, uh, my, my, my mother-in-law. So having written down everything and you put it in on a, in on a website, you have an account, put it in a website, it's saved. And then your children will go on and your grandchildren will go on. Then you'll have a ancestry lineage that will get. And eventually you'll get more names from ancestors because more cousins are coming in and they know names, you know, everything connects and the database will get them. It will send them an email that, Hey, we got more information on your family and you can bring in the name on your, on your chart, on your family tree and so on. So it's a, it's very, very important to have genealogy in this time of the day, Jewish community, especially. Can people collaborate on your website? Different parts of a family work together and kind of build a tree that yes, you know, ultimately yes. uh, converges. Definitely. We have a collaborate button that you can send your family chart to you. Everyone, they should go on and add names and so on. Definitely. We have a collaborate button for that. Tell us a little bit where, I mean, what's the website? Just tell, spell it out for everyone again. We'll put it in the show notes and uh, love for people to go there. Okay. The, the name is Trimely. I would say it tree like a tree. 
and tree milli, that's family tree together. It's like a combination of family tree. Tree, M-I-L-Y, dot com. Fabulous. We're going to put it in the notes as well, of course, and encourage people to go there. It's such a wonderful tool, particularly for the Jewish community, where family and tradition is such a central part of our identity and of our whole justification for being, in a sense. And uh, we're really grateful for the work that you're doing. Uh, your own family, of course, is an example of that amazing Jewish dynasty, that Jewish connectivity going back for generations, broad and deep, and uh, is a wonderful example in and of itself. So thank you for sharing your story, and thank you for the work you're doing with this wonderful project, Tremily.com. Asher Halberstam, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Hopefully that people will be able to connect to their forefathers and become better Jews. Amen. This has been Ari Koretsky on Jews You Should Know. Please visit us at JewsYouShouldKnow.com and subscribe at iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you consume podcasts. Find us on social media at JewsYouShouldKnow. If you'd like to become a supporter of this podcast, we would greatly appreciate that. And you can do so by visiting Patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash JewsYouShouldKnow. Finally, if you have enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review so that we can continue to grow and introduce many more people to Jews you should know.